Church, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be finishing up the chapter that John Desiderio started last week. Uh, So if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a Bible. We have them under the chairs, so you can grab them there. I'll have some of the verses on screen, but I'm not going to have all of them on the screen throughout the message, uh, because I want to encourage you to use your Bible. So open up to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're hankering down today. I'm excited and nervous, because Philippians, as you've probably gathered in this series, is a very packed book. I'd say it's, uh, if I had to pick a favorite book, I'd say Philippians is my favorite book. So I was I was really excited when they said that I would have an opportunity to teach during this uh, series. However, the shoes to fill have been pretty large because we've had a lot of really good messages on this. And that's just because it's such a packed message. And I don't want to disservice it. I don't want to treat it lightly. Um, and I'll tell you, this, this passage has kicked me in the butt a bit. <laughs> it's been convicting. It's been difficult. But it's been encouraging. Because it leads me back to what all of Philippians has been focusing on, and that's a gospel-centered life. Not just a gospel-centered life that's out of obligation, but a gospel-centered life that's a response of joy. Right? It seems difficult when Paul talks about things like suffering for the gospel and dying for the gospel, but he always brings it back to, I count it all joy. Because that's what the Christian life is. It isn't easy. But it is so worth it. And so we're going to dive in today, but what Paul does in this passage, which he has in a few passages in Scripture, he uses a comparison of what the Christian life looks like, and he compares it to athletic events of the time. And so in this passage, we're going to see an image that is very common for Paul to use, and that's that of running the race. If you know the title of the sermon is Pressing On, that's what he's he's going to be hammering down for us today. But... Before I do that, I have a video that I want to share. Because when I think of running the race, I have uh, many funny images that I put in my head. But I love this image. I love this picture. And so I thought this video might help us to get an idea of what Paul's getting at today. So without further ado, play this short video. Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can't. And you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. All right. What a sad lesson to learn. That's really tough. Uh, you know, you, you have to live with that. It doesn't, you don't really get over that, you know. You're always going to be remembered as uh, the guy who celebrated too early. And... The, the beginning of that uh, video is really funny because the commentator is like, there's a moral to this story. And he's absolutely right. It's why I stole it for a sermon. There's a moral to this story. There is, in a race, there's a goal, right? There's a finish line. There's a goal that you have to reach. And when you reach that goal, there's a prize that you attain. And so to prepare for running a race, you work hard because everyone else is gunning for the same prize. And if you don't work hard, if you don't, Put all your focus in on this. If you, don't, if you don't gather all your efforts into running this race, you're not going to get the prize. But then people think, all right, it's the, it's the prep work that you need to do. No, during the race, during the race, there is a mentality you need to have to keep your eyes on the prize, to keep running. You're not finished until you're past the goal. And that's an incredible moral of that story that we can attain, but... 
Paul's going to be talking about that today in this passage. So before I dive in, let's pray. Lord, we come to you humbly asking that you would reveal yourself to us in your word. Lord, there's beauty in your word because your word points us to you. It shows us who you are. It shows us more of how, how Jesus lived and how we are to live for Jesus and like Jesus, Lord, in a world that needs it. Lord, we need you. We needed forgiveness, which is why you paid on the cross for our sins. We needed someone to take our place, and you did. And now we need you to work in our hearts, to grow us, keep shaping us into your image. Lord, we're in the middle of a race, and that race isn't over until we're with you. So Lord, do not let us slow down. Keep fixing our eyes, keep strengthening us, keep encouraging us, Lord, that we would run the race until the end. Not for our glory, but for yours. You deserve it, Lord. Thank you for all you've given us. Work in our hearts now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to start off, I'm going to read this, the first couple verses of Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Here Paul says, and it's a continuation, so it starts off, uh, you know, Right, continuing on from what was last week, but he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward toward the goal uh, for what lies ahead, I press on to, on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this starts with, with a great verb, I press on. I press on. This word is, is interesting. In the Greek, it's dioko. And it's used multiple times in Philippians chapter 3. And this word can mean press on. It could also mean pursue. So it's this idea of chasing after something. There's a target. You're not just running aimlessly. There's something that you're after. In fact, he uses this same verb earlier in the chapter, which was preached last week, when he references his old life. Remember, Paul was in verse 5 saying, all right, I, I was a Jew who was above all Jews. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was from the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. And then he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Well, that word persecutor is that same Greek word, dioko. We translate it to persecuting because that's what it meant to pursue Christians if you were a Pharisee. It meant that you were pursuing them to kill them. And so, Paul used to have a very different target. His target was taking out those who were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. But now he's using that same Greek verb to show his new life in Christ. You see, I used to pursue, out of zeal, out of excitement, out of passion, I used to pursue murder. Because I thought that taking out Christians would earn me some kind of merit. And what Paul is telling us now is, no, I no longer pursue that. That's the old me. My old pursuits were wicked. My old pursuits were awful. My new pursuit is Jesus Christ. 
I am pursuing, I am pressing on toward a different goal, toward a different prize. And that asks the question for us when we read this, what is the prize? He says that he hasn't obtained it. He says that he hasn't seized it. Uh, there's In the NASB it says lay hold of. There's something he hasn't gotten yet. There's a prize that he's after because he doesn't have it here and now. Now there's many interpretations of what this prize is. I, uh, I struggled preparing for this because it felt like every commentary I read from a different theologian had a different opinion on this. And the reason that it's so uh, kind of difficult to, to pinpoint is because Paul doesn't exactly tell us. But he gives different ideas to what this prize is. Some people say the prize is perfection. The reason they say this is because when he claims I have not obtained it, he also says I have not already become perfect. Another way of translating that would be, I've not been made complete. What he means is, I'm still stuck in the flesh. I'm still in, in Christ, but I sin. And so I'm not perfect. Now, he listed his lifestyle right before this, and you'd think, Paul, if there's anyone close to perfection here on earth, apart from Jesus Christ, it's Paul, right? Right? Because he has given up all, all the sinful things. In, in the way we read Paul, he's given up. He's counted loss all of the earthly things for the sake of knowing Jesus. And he's pressed on. We see that to the end of his life. But I don't think perfection is exactly what he's saying is the prize. Because his goal was not simply, I want to be perfect. Now, there's a perfect person that he's after. So in a sense, perfection is part of the prize. Knowing that there's a future a future glorification to come. But it's not now. Some people say that the prize is the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because right before verse 12, when he says, I have not obtained it, um, he mentions this resurrection of the dead. He says in verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So some people correlate that, but even that is part of a greater scheme. We'll get to that in a second. Some people say, that the prize Paul is referencing is the crowns of righteousness. This comes out of 2 Timothy 4. At the end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy, and he knows that he's going to die. He knows, I've come to the end of the race. I've, I've gotten to this goal, and you know what? The race is over for me, because I'm going to die. But this is what he says about the end of the race. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, after death, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. And so some people would say that the prize is the crown of righteousness. That's what Paul is striving after. There's no doubt that he will receive a crown of righteousness. But that's not all that the prize entails. Some people say that the prize is lost souls. You see, when we leave this earth and enter into eternity in heaven with Jesus, what can we bring with us? We are not bringing our material goods. We're not. We're not bringing our knowledge even because when we get there, our knowledge is going to be much broader and deeper in an understanding of Jesus Christ. We're going to have the fullness of him there. We're not bringing with us our riches. We're not bringing with us our homes. We're not bringing with us our, our 
video games, our cars. What we bring with us, a lot of people say the only thing we could take with us is others. We can bring others alongside us by sharing the gospel, sharing with others how they can know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that when we finish the race, there are others coming with us. My answer to this question, what is the prize, is all of the above. (laughs) You see, all of this is part of the grand scheme of what the Christian life looks like. All of this is truly the prize that we will attain, but they're all aspects of the prize. And I would say a great way to summarize what the prize is that we're after, church, is knowing Jesus Christ and becoming more like him. And if you know Jesus Christ, as Paul says to know Jesus from last week's message, when he says, I I count all things lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, He then explains what it means to know him, that he may be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, that he may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, knowing Jesus results in living for Christ. I can read about Jesus. Knowing Jesus is not just educational, though. Knowing Jesus is not just opening my Bible and studying who he is, getting ideas and concepts of who he is. Knowing Jesus is living how he lived, because then you're going to understand him better. For instance, when we counsel people who are dealing with issues, are you able to counsel better if you've been through what they've been through? Absolutely. If someone comes to me and they say, hey, I've had a death in the family. Well, I've had death in my family as well. Now I I have some relatability with you. I can reach you where you're at. But you know what? There's times where people come to me with issues that I don't relate with. Now, it doesn't mean I can't help them, but I don't know their issues that well. And I'll know them deeper if I went through similar things. You see, Jesus, when he came to earth, he made it a goal to know what we go through. He endured the temptations of the flesh. He went through the sufferings and the pain and the turmoil of being in a broken world and in a broken body so that he would know us. And he already knows our hearts. He knows us deeper than anyone knows us. But how do we know Jesus? By living the way he did. How do we know how deep the Father's love is for me? By loving others that same way. How do we know Christ's forgiveness in my life? I forgive others. The more that I am shaped into the image of Jesus Christ by surrendering to him and living for him every day, running that race that we've been talking about, helps me to know Jesus. And in knowing him, all these things are being achieved. The prize is what we're after. So I have this image here. There's the image. (laughs) And this is the race, right? We have this This time from salvation, from the time that Christ has grabbed a hold of us, up until the point that we are with him in heaven, we're in that arrow. It's an upward call. It is heading toward eternity, heading toward heaven. The prize has not yet been attained, but we're in the middle of the race. Now, this arrow makes it look very simple where, all right, once I've been saved, it is all uphill, right? 
Does that sound about right? <laughs> I'm sure from experience that, that you're probably thinking, I don't know about that. It's a little more complicated. Well, I didn't have enough space on the image to show all the complications here of what that looks like. <laughs> but I'd say that it is upward because this is the process of sanctification. You see, Paul says in verse uh, 12 here, he says, I, I want to lay hold of that for which I have been laid hold of by Jesus Christ. So he says, I can only enter the race, I can only press on toward the prize if I have been laid hold of by Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. Okay? Again, another translation is going to be if I've been seized by Jesus, if he's grabbed a hold of me. For Paul, this was a very physical thing. Remember, he was living so far away from Jesus. Again, he was pursuing persecuting the church, yet on his way to Damascus, he was blinded and fell off his horse. Jesus, in a very real way, grabbed a hold of him. Believer, there is a point in which we did not know Christ. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. And he reached out and seized us. He grabbed a hold of us. Through faith in him, we become his. And so that's the starting point of the race. The struggle is a lot of people settle for just that. They stop there. They say, all right, I've been, I put my trust in Jesus. I've been forgiven. I have salvation. I know that my eternity is going to be in heaven. I know that the end goal, the prize will be with Christ for eternity. But instead of striving for the prize, they settle for less, and they don't run. And they stay stagnant until death awaits. Christian, we don't want to waste our lives on that. We don't want to settle for less. You see, you've been saved for a purpose. You've been seized for a purpose. And you running the race, growing in your knowledge of Christ, being transformed, renewed day by day in his image by the Holy Spirit, is giving you a taste of what eternity is like. And you miss out on those blessings when you don't run after him. Now, I'm not naive to think that, that there's not gonna be pitfalls or uh, roadblocks along the way to the prize. I know in my life, it has felt more like a roller coaster than an upward, upward call. But you know, when I first became a believer, I was told that the Christian life was a roller coaster. You have your ups and you have your downs. Some days you're living for Christ and it's great and some days you're stuck in the flesh and it doesn't feel good. And that seemed very relatable to me, but you know what, that actually became a stumbling block for me early in my walk. Because I had this view that there's high highs and there's low lows in the Christian walk. Some days, some days I'm deep in my sin, hopeless. Later on in my Christ, I started to notice something looking back. I started to notice that I may be struggling, but I'm not where I used to be. And so I had a wrong idea of what the Christian life was. You see, I thought it was high highs, low lows, but no, 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 no. It is an upward climb because you're growing. And every time you have a low point, you come back to Jesus. And he grows you. He molds you. He shapes you through that difficulty so that you're no longer right here, but now after this difficulty, I'm up here. Oh, but I've struggled and I've stumbled again. 
Let's get through this. Now we're up here. But I'm not where I was. Does that make sense? That's the Christian walk. There is an upward call. And if we get, if we become naive and think it's hopeless, there's no way of heading that direction, we've lost sight of the power of Christ. He has seized us. He has saved us. He's calling us. He will change you if you submit and seek him. He will work in you. There is hope. And that's what Paul wants us to know. It's why he says, believer, I am forgetting what lies behind and I'm reaching forward to what's ahead. Paul was a forward-thinking believer. His eyes were always on the prize. But if at any point he would have looked back, what do you think he would have felt? No doubt he would have felt guilt. No doubt Paul would have felt shame. No doubt Paul would have felt inadequate and insecure. And I get that. Many times I feel when I look back on my struggles, on who I was, I feel inadequate and insecure. I feel guilty. I feel shameful. But Paul is encouraging us, believer, don't be stuck there because you're going to miss out on the prize. Do not stay there. There's something greater for you. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is calling you upward. Come back to him. Fix your eyes on him. There's a, I played the video earlier where the guy celebrated too early. There's another video I wish I had. I'd seen it years ago of a guy who was running a race. And as he was running, the guy was coming up close to him. And before he, he had the goal in front of him, before he got to the goal, he looked back to see where the other guy was. And in looking back, he was passed. Because you're not running if you're looking back. Keep your eyes on the prize. Reach for Jesus day by day for a renewed understanding of who he is, a renewed understanding of his grace. In Hebrews chapter 12, we get a similar idea of this when we talk about running the race. The author says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Believer, that's the race. And as you run, as you're on that upward call, there's things that are gonna trip you up, and our job is to lay them aside. He says, lay aside every sin that is trying to trip you up. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but that's that day-by-day -day reaching for Jesus because who's the one who conquered sin? It's not me. I can't do it. The one who conquered sin is Jesus Christ. He's the author and perfecter of my faith. He's the one I need to go to. And so I lay aside sin by reaching out to him, fixing my eyes on him. My desire, my, my passion, my zeal for him will supersede my desire for the flesh. But he doesn't just say lay aside sin. He says lay aside every encumbrance. He's referencing here anything that trips us up. Anything that takes our eyes off of Jesus. Anything that is going to make us look back or stop on the race. Don't slow down. Keep running. Lay those things aside and run after Christ. That's what Paul's calling us to. But while we run, we need some instruction on how to run well. 
And so Paul says this in 15 and 16. He says, let us therefore as many as are perfect, another, uh, a better way of translating this is as many as are mature. Mature is a better translation of that. We know that he's not referencing that we are perfect because he's already claimed we cannot be. So let us therefore as many as are mature have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. So Paul tells us to have this attitude if we're mature. Now this references uh, very similarly to Philippians 2, where we're told the church, right, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. What was that attitude? Anyone? Oh man, this is rough. Okay. No one knows? Have this attitude? Philippians chapter 2, you can cheat. Go to Philippians chapter 2. What is the attitude we're told to have? Humility! Thank you. All right. Nice and loud. Man, I... I hope that doesn't, doesn't bomb in the second service too. All right. <laughs> humility. There's a common con- you know, theme that's all throughout Philippians, and it's humility. And there's a connection here to that. He's saying, have this attitude in yourself that is similar to the attitude of Philippians 2. It's the attitude that Paul exemplified in the verses prior. This attitude is humility. It is not thinking that I'm already perfect. Not thinking that I can do this on my own. I'm striving after Jesus because I see my need for him. I'm striving after Jesus because I know I'm not good enough. And I know I haven't made it. And you know what? That's a struggle for a lot of people in the church. It can be a struggle for me. Feeling like I've already obtained it. I've reached the point. I know enough or I've done enough. And as the video we shared earlier shows, if you celebrate too early, you take your eyes off the prize, you're not running the race correctly. And if you celebrate too early, what ends up happening is, instead of going closer and closer and closer to the prize in your life here on earth, you stop prematurely and you miss out on a closer relationship with Christ here on earth. You miss out on some of the ways that he wants to show his goodness to you here on earth. You miss out on some of the opportunities to share with others the hope that is within you. And so never reach a point where you think you've made it. I know that no matter how much I know God's word, I study God's word, no matter how much I do, until my time has come here on earth and I've breathed my last breath, I've not made it. And you know what? That can be a very somber thing but it's a very humbling thing. And it's a very exciting thing to know that I'm able to run this race and, and keep running without boredom, without thinking, oh, I know enough. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up playing a lot of video games. I'm sure that many of you did not. Um, But in a similar way, you probably had sports or things that you had as goals. When you set a goal and you attain it, the question's always, what's next? And that's a difficult thing. You start to lose satisfaction. If I've already got it, what's next? In growing up playing video games, the goal of video games is really to make you feel accomplished. They give you a lot of achievements. They give you a lot of goals. 
and you spend many, many, many hours trying to fill all these goals, and you don't really get anything for it except for an achievement, a fulfillment of saying, oh, I completed this. But then after it's done, it's like, well, what now? That's not this race. Because we don't attain it until we're with Christ in heaven, there is no point in which we will stop and go, all right, Christ has done enough, I'm bored. No, 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 no. It gets more and more exciting. And the closer you get to the prize, the closer you get to Jesus, the more exciting it gets. Paul wants us to know that. See, it's easy for us to settle, but Paul causes us to live by a certain standard. He says in verse 16, live by the same standard to which you have attained. And so remember in that picture of the race, we're living from the starting point of salvation. Of course we're looking forward to the prize that we're going to get and we're relishing in the things that God is doing here and now. And yes, we're forgetting what lies behind, but there is a sense of we're living according to what we have attained. And so there is a point of, all right, I need to look back and realize what I have in Christ because it's more than anything I'm gonna get on this earth. You see, because of Jesus' transformation in my life, because I came to him in faith, I have forgiveness. I have forgiveness of sins. I no longer have to be burdened by them. I am no longer a slave to sin. I can be free. I don't want to shortchange that. That's an incredible thing. Alongside that, we're called to adoption. You see, when we put our trust in Jesus... He takes us into his family. We're adopted as sons and daughters with God as our heavenly father. What that means is we have a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe. That's what we've attained at salvation. We also receive the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who empowered the disciples, the same Holy Spirit who transformed Paul from a persecutor of the church to a pursuer of Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that we have in us. That's what we've attained upon salvation. God in us, working in us, changing us, molding us, transforming us. And with that, we get the fruits of the Spirit. We have love. We have joy, we have peace, and we have a love, joy, and peace that the world does not know. It's greater than anything this world has to offer. And believer, we have purpose. Christ seized us for a purpose. So what Paul wants us to do is to look at what we have attained and allow that to shape the standard in which we live now. Because of what I have in Christ Jesus, because of the salvation, the so great salvation that he's given me, I want to live my life responding to that, relishing in that, showing others what that is. And you know, I'm never going to be able to repay what Christ has given me. It's too much. The gift is way too large. I'm never going to be able to work hard enough or do enough good deeds to live up to what I have received. But that's not what he's looking for. What he's looking for is the glory, the thankfulness. He enjoys that I am living in enjoyment of him. And he wants to use us for his purpose. And so 
if I'm living by that standard, that's going to change the way that I act. When sin comes my way, instead of saying, I'm defeated, I'm stuck, I'm going to stop running, I could say, no, I'm coming back to Jesus and run the race moving forward and give him the glory. Before we can run, though, Paul wants to teach us again how to walk. It's why in verses 17 throughout the rest of the chapter, he says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. But then he gives us an example of those who don't walk well. He says, you have a good example within me, within other believers, walk this way. And this way is in humility, in zeal toward Jesus Christ. But then he says in verse 18, for many walk of whom I often told you, and I now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. There are some who walk as enemies of Christ. And he describes how they walk. And I want to take note of this, church. This is something we want to pay attention to so that we don't walk this way. He says, many walk as enemies of Christ. Their God is their appetite. Church, I have a question for you today. What is your appetite? What is it that drives you, that motivates you? This has been the convicting question in my heart. Because there are many days where the thing that excites me, the thing that I spend my time on is oh, I, I, action. I kind of want to watch a TV show that, that I'm excited for because I'm, I'm desiring some sort of action. And I don't feel that in my everyday life. I'm desiring some greater purpose and I don't feel that in my everyday life. And it's because I'm not dwelling on the things of Christ. Or sometimes I desire selfish things. You know, he mentions... Uh, our stomachs, he mentions appetite. Sometimes it's my desire is for the here and now, my sustenance. What is it that I am caring for? Maybe my desire is money, achievements, success. You know, Rockefeller was asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? He said, just one more dollar. Because that appetite cannot be satisfied. It doesn't reach to a point where you're like, all right, I've got it. Life's great. Nothing is going to satisfy you apart from Jesus. That is where satisfaction is. But we should observe in our life, what is our appetite? What is it that's driving us? He also says those who walk as enemies of Christ, their glory is their shame. Their glory is in their shame. What this means is that they find glory in things that are shameful according to Scripture. I think of the rich man in Mark chapter 10 who comes to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus questions him, oh, well, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Honor your father and mother. You know, basically, hey, the standard's perfection. And you know what his response was? Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Well, Jesus presses him further. He says, well, one thing you lack. Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and then come and follow me and you will find treasure in heaven. And the rich man left Jesus because he was a man of many possessions. You see, if we find our glory in the successes or the achievements of the things here on earth, we're going to miss out on Christ. 
if our appetite is for success or money or achievements, we've missed out. If I'm worried about my own morality, look at what I've done, then I'm not going to be able to look at what Christ will do. And so the last description of these people who walk as enemies of Christ is their minds are on earthly things. That's what they think of day and in and day out. But we're called to a greater purpose, church. I, I say let's examine those who walk as enemies of Christ, but you know, I'd like for us to look at real quick how we are to walk. And you know what, I want to say something. Not only are we to walk this way, but you can walk this way. Okay, there is a better way to walk and when we look at the standard of perfection, when we look at Jesus Christ, it's easy to feel defeated and say, well, I can't attain that. Strive after it. I encourage you, don't let that discourage you. Strive after it because God is working in you and calling you to live this way. This is how we're to walk, church. You see, instead of our God being our appetite, our God is Jesus Christ. It is him who we worship. It's him who we seek. It's him who we want to to have an appetite for. I think of Psalm chapter 41, where the psalmist says, as the deer pants for water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. If he is the prize, it's my appetite for him. Do I wake up wanting him more? Am I seeking to be satisfied fully by Jesus Christ, or am I satisfied by the things of this earth? Church, let's find our appetite for him. Let's desire him. Knowing that our glory is also not in our works. Our glory is not in our shame. Our glory is in what he did. He's the one that we find glory in. Because his finished work on the cross has given us salvation. It's his righteousness on us. And every good deed we do is because of him working in and through us. And so who do we give the glory to? The one who's given us life, Jesus Christ. That's who our glory is in. And our minds are not to be set on earthly things, but they're to be set on heavenly things. That's why at the end of this chapter, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. We set our mind on heavenly things, knowing that the finished result is eternity with our savior there will be a transformation where we no longer have to deal with sin. You see, we're free from the slavery of sin, but we still deal with the effects of sin and we still deal with the, the hurt of sin. People come to me all the time. Why is there pain in the world? Why is there sickness in the world? If God loves the world, why do these bad things happen to people who are serving him? And at the root of that is sin. One day that will be gone. One day that will be gone in our bodies and that will be gone in the world and that's the day when Jesus returns and takes his rightful place as king we set our minds on that there is a hope before us that we strive after and so we don't have to despair thinking that this is it here on earth no 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 we have a hope 
because we know what's after. We know the end result and we trust in Jesus. So church, as we wrap up, I have an encouragement for us. My encouragement is to passionately, passionately press on toward the prize. As you leave here today, there's a lot that you could do to examine your hearts. You can look at how is it that I'm walking? What is my appetite? How do I press on? Lord Jesus, I need you more. But this is what I want to encourage you. If there is a prize that is beyond what you can attain on this earth, there is a goal that far exceeds the goal of earthly things. And so you do not have to set your mind on these things and settle here. You can look ahead and you can say, Christ, I'm heading after you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to give up on my pursuits here, and I'm going to pursue after you. So church, passionately press on toward the prize. Have a hunger for the Lord. Never stop striving. Never think you've made it. Never turn back and do not give up. Keep running the race. And you're not alone. We do it together. Let's pray. Lord, you are the goal. The prize is life with you. Lord, I pray that none of us here would fall back and be drawn to the things of this earth, but that we would press on, Lord, running the race toward the prize, seeing your goodness, tasting your love, that your grace would be shown in us and through us and to the world, and that your glory would be shown, that we would know you deeper, knowing that the end result is life with you. Lord, renew us today in a newfound understanding, knowledge, and love of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in the holy, precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, church, be blessed today. Run the race.